Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. I'm William Hosea, and joining me is Indiana's own Dana Black, and we're speaking with Robin Winston, political strategist and former state Democratic Party chair. So I'm going to ask Dana and Robin to kind of bring us up to date on what's going on in Indiana politics, and we'll talk about the uh, impeachment proceedings uh, a little bit later in the show. So, Dana. So, first of all, i got to tell you, um, depending on what side of the aisle you sit on, um, there were some absolutely amazing gains for for Democrats who typically um, have our uh, African-American community um, interests uh, at heart. Um, we made some amazing gains in, in, in Marion County and down in Vandenberg um, and we made in Hamilton County, which is notoriously um, been a red county. Yeah. Um, we also had some disheartening losses. Uh, uh, Kokomo, uh, we lost the mayor there. Um, we also lost the mayor in um, um, in Muncie. But we, we, you know, our party is so diverse. We elected more women um, to executive roles. Um, we added more people of color to roles and we definitely increased our LGBTQ plus representation, especially in Marion County, uh, where we added three, three new LGBTQ folk to our city county council. We elected a gay mayor, a gay mayor down in Tell City. So now the state of Indiana has two of those. And uh, we made history on November 5th by uh, Green, Greenfield elected its first um, trans woman um, in the entire state to hold elected office. So um, we made some amazing gains, but we also had some losses, some areas that we still have to work work on. But one thing I wanted to, to remind people that in Indiana, uh, more people live under Democratic mayors than they do Republican mayors. So where there are, po- where there are people <laughs> and populations, they are governed um, by uh, Democrats. That's saying a lot. So, Robin, uh, what, what's your take on Indiana politics? Well, I mean, Dana's right about the gains that were made um, across the state. Now the proof's in the pudding to see how well people represent, you know, uh, folks once they're there. That's what, um, that's where the accountability comes in, and that's why having your show and having people like Dana involved, myself, someone involved, uh, saying to some of these new mayors or new council people, now you got here, now don't forget how you got here. That's right. Um, we still have to keep in mind, though, in Marion County, we had a 24% turnout. So what's beginning to happen, I think, is that when you begin to, to just think about, okay, well, if it's an extremely low turnout, yet Democrats made substantial gains, what that's telling you is that the Democratic voters, I believe, are very, very energized. Uh, one of my friends uh, is Andy Bashir, and I helped him both up here. He's the new governor of Kentucky. Last time, the governor's race in Kentucky was a million votes. This time, it was 1.4 million votes cast. Last time, a Republican won the race by six points or by eight points. This time, the Republican lost by 5,000 votes. Wow. So That's what we're close. beginning to see is our voters are mobilized, or the people that are coming to vote are Democrats that are mobilized. 
because, you know, I mean, if you look back at the historical precedent of, of Marion County, I mean, you had Greg Ballard as mayor all the way up until Joe got elected in 15. That's right. So these folks were all, well, it's an overwhelming Democratic county. It became overwhelming in, in four years. Um, no, what's happening is our voters are motivated, and I think, William, they're motivated by what kept you watching television. <laughs> um, I just got a text before I went on the show. I'm driving back. But I just got a text before I went on the show from a woman saying she and her husband, both attorneys, both white, both Hamilton County residents, 100% wanted to get involved in this political cycle to help get a Democrat elected president. So we're beginning to see that. Look at Kentucky, where I told you my friend got elected governor down there. But then look at Louisiana, yep. where the Democratic governor held on to the seat. Mississippi used to be over at about, oh, I don't know, 6 o'clock when the polls closed, but yet it went late into the night. So who's voting? We are. That's it. That's People it. People that are progressive are voting. I mean, I'm just going to wrap up, William, but I mean... When you talk about a transgender candidate getting elected, I'm not so sure that that's because what had always been a conservative Republican voter in Greenfield came to the polls and voted as much as it is our voters are mobilized and coming out and voting for candidates. Here in Marion County, same thing happened. I look at a superstar, Alex Burton, down in the Fourth Ward. Oh, he's amazing. Evansville. Outstanding candidate to carry on the legacy of Connie Robinson who went on to be the president of the city council there. So I think our voters are motivated. We just had to make sure that we stay motivated and get to the polls on in, in November of 2020. And, and to p- piggyback off of that, I think it is also incumbent upon the party to make sure that we stay engaged with, with the voters. You know, we don't want our, our uh, electorate feeling like we only show up when it's time to vote. And I think that our party has done a much better job over the last, um, I want to even say the last decade, even though we had some some devastating losses. But we've done better at, you know, creating an avenue for voters to have conversations so they can feel like they're a part of the process. And, and this is a citizen government. And if you don't, uh, you know, make people feel like their voice matters, their vote matters, they will stay home and they are energized. So it, we, it has been incumbent upon us to make sure as leaders that we reach out to folk as well. And we're, we're talking about those issues and we're talking about those policies and we're showing how those policies uh, impact their lives directly so that they are like, whoa, wait a second, what's happening here? Well, let, let me put a question. Yeah, I will to tell you up. that I was um, fortunate to be a state Democratic chairman when Franco Bannon was governor. So that was about about 19 years ago, and we won. Um, so I, so that was great. And I did my job on outreach, but Dana is doing her job at a grassroots level that I was not able to do because I was too busy trying to raise millions of dollars and win the governor's race twice. So we did that. But the fact of the matter is, in her case, I was talking to somebody, and Dana, I'm just going to tell him. I said, so what is she like? <laughs> they, everybody knew her. Wow. I did not, so that tells you something about outreach. Everybody uh, that I talked to, I talked to people in three or four different communities, and I said, I'm going to be on the radio with her. What, you know, what, oh, she's that, but that, that, I mean, they all knew she'd been there. They all knew she was there when the tables were being folded down at the end of an event. They all knew that she was there on a Saturday when a lot of people were still sleeping in. They all knew that there was a presence. So it's not just about they quote they you have the they on the phone right now or in your studio right now the they is present 
is present, and that's that's what's important. I mean, I did my part, you know, a couple of decades ago, and still stay active now. But the they is the one that's in Huntington on a Saturday morning. The they is the one that can tell you that they actually know where Governor Street is in Evansville. The mm-hmm. they is the one that knows where the Heights Center is in Terre Haute. That's what we are doing. And the other guys on the other side of the aisle, look, I'm a former state chairman, so I don't have to be apologetic or Democratic chairman. The other guys don't have near as much work. No. I mean, they don't have near as many diverse con- constituencies. In fact, they've got a party that eschews, disparages, denigrates, downgrades, I can't think of anything else, certain parts of their constituency that we welcome into ours. Is it harder? Yes, it's a lot harder. Absolutely. It's a lot harder. From from something as simple as, is your literature printed with a union bug on it? Never have to worry about it. Do you <laughs> do you have a caucus of, of for minority outreach? Never have to worry about it. I mean, so the Democrat job in this thing is harder, but guess what's beginning to happen? The big tent is coming to vote. Absolutely. You're Be- seeing that. Absolutely. You're seeing that, you all. So, anyway, there's there's my... I got. I got to let you know. I, I'm. I'm slightly blushing over here because when a legend says that he's heard about you, that, that says a lot. That says a lot. That means that work is paying off. So thank you, sir. Thank See, you. we're we're at an impasse now. Here we got two legends complimenting each other. Neither one. <laughs> no, of them I'm. No, no. I am not legendary yet. This. Listen. You know, Robin Winston was the name I heard about when I first decided I wanted to run against Brian Bosman in '16, and I didn't know nothing about nothing. But I knew the name Robin Winston. Find out who that is. Get to know his story. Find out, you know, his path to success. And if you mimic it in some way, then then you will be successful. But I wanted to piggyback what he's talked. He talked about um, I'm doing the outreach or, you know, our team is doing outreach and he's fundraising. I remind people all the time. Everyone has their own specific skill set that helps them um, help other people. You don't have to be a talker like me and run around the state like I do. Or you don't have to be a huge fundraiser like like Robin Winston. Find whatever that skill set is that you have, and you take right. that gift and you put it into this pot, and let's stir this bad boy right. up, and let's, let's make some more gains. Uh, Robin, you made some uh, comparisons to, or at least I think you did. You made some comparisons between Indiana and Kentucky. Um, now, Kentucky's governor won by a really, really uh, slim margin. But considering all of the uh, efforts that Republicans put in to uh, suppress the vote, the voter ID, gerrymandering, so on and so forth, do you think that those people voted in numbers uh, enough to overwhelm all of those efforts? And could that happen in a state like Indiana? Well, first off, first off, it can. Um, Andy, uh, not Andy, but now Governor-elect Bashir was up there. We... um, Dana's right. I mean, I had him up here. We raised some money for him. I probably talked to the campaign quite a bit all the way through the fall, and that was great. And, and talked to him by text election night. That was all fun and games. But here's why I did it. He said one of his first acts as governor is going to be to sign legislation that restores the voting rights of people with felony convictions that have served their time mm. in Kentucky. I used to be a chief of staff in Louisville. So I remember a man standing in my office crying because of the feudal system they have in that state where you have to have you have to write a letter to the governor, and the governor has to approve getting your citizenship restored so you can get your voting rights back if you have a felony conviction. Now, as I warned him, what he has to be on guard for is what they did in Florida. 
which is they gave the felons their their rights back, but then they said, "Ho ho ho, you owe two hundred and twenty dollars in court cost." When you <laughs> yeah. pay those, you can have your rights fully extended. Now that's being contested because that's a de facto poll tax. Right. So I want to make sure, William, it 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 isn't just because Democrat. I don't I don't support every Democrat unless they're going to nope. do something for our people. Nope. A lot of our people are part of that 111,000, I think 111,000, they said in Kentucky. Now, think about this. 111,000 get their voting rights back. Let's just be cynical and conservative at the same time and say that no more than 15% of those folks even take the time to register to vote. So that's a new 16,000 registered voters. Now, let's say that 60% become first time, so 10,000 come out to vote. And they remember who helped restore their voting rights, and they get 8 of 10. Well, there's 8,000 new votes. Now you don't win by 5,000 on your reelect. You win by 13,000. But more importantly, over 100,000 people get their rights restored. Absolutely. You know, that, that's what, that's, that it's not just about, hey, he's my buddy, and I'll get to go see the Derby. I've been a Derby 40 years. Could care less. But... You know, it's not all the pomp and circumstance. It's what they do. As I warned him and told him all the time, you got some of the poorest parts of the country in your state. Make sure that Medicaid gets there. His dad had Medicare things for them. So now let's come back to Indiana. You had 15,000 people downtown last week. Yep. Now let's talk about it. 15,000, and, and, and Dana, I would say, based on the photos that I saw, it looked to be about seven out of ten they were representative of the teaching profession yes about seven out of ten were female yes yes and we already know women yeah make 70 percent 70 cents of the dollar not not talking about reproductive rights not talking about where they usually talk about issues and try to box women in they were downtown to talk about equal pay and trying to say in this economy if you don't pay us well enough there are other jobs but we've got an outstanding skill. We're trying to help educate your kids. Absolutely. Last time we had anything like that, I was fortunate <clears throat> on the balcony of the state house with then Lieutenant Governor Frank O'Bannon, and there were 25,000 union workers downtown. Guess what happened in 96? We win the governorship. Mm. You have 15,000 people down in 19. The speaker announces he's out the same day, and you end up with, with I don't want to call it a revolution, but you end up with a lot of people mobilized that aren't traditionally mobilized to go out and vote. And that's because we're bringing those policies that are impacting them to the forefront. A lot of folks are not necessarily aware of how when a policy is passed, it may have a positive or negative impact on their their particular living existence. A lot of those teachers that were down there have been voting Republican. A lot of those teachers that are down there have been voting for the very people who are writing legislation and Good passing point. policies that were counter to who they were. And I wrote a piece in IBJ uh, uh, a couple months back, and I asked the question, you know, teachers, how is it that I can go, how is it that I need to go out here and, and talk to people who aren't as educated as you are about voting against their interests when I know that you are all very educated people and you are voting against your interests? Now, I understand that most people are not single vote you know, single issue voters. I get that. But when it, when it, you know, impacts your, your pocketbook, your pocketbook, that, that means everything else is impacted. But your health care is impacted. Your, your, your car, everything. 
you said a lot of those teachers were voting Republican. Yes. But isn't that the case uh, uh, state after state after yes. state where, where so many of them are voting against their own yes. interests? And that's why this uh, this person is in the White House right now. Absolutely, because we, we've allowed ourselves to get caught up in those emotional, social issues. You know, that you've heard of the, the three Gs, guns, gods, and gays. But see, what they're not paying attention to is how we have gutted or are attempting to defund public education and turn that into a private entity. What we're not talking about is how the, the policies that we pass on our environment will cause significant health issues in rural Indiana. Not where we are. Yes, they'll impact us too, but they're definitely... Morgan County right now has a serious, serious lead problem. But the people don't want to talk about it because, you know, they, they I don't want to go to the gay wedding. Well, see, while you're tripping on how I live my life, your life is going to be negatively impacted because you don't have clean air and clean water. The last time I checked, every human on the planet needed those two things. And the and the uh, large numbers of hospitals being closed in rural areas. There, there are several counties in our state right now that don't have hospitals. And it's also very hard to maintain um, providers in those areas when they don't have, you know, the opportunity to have to practice the way they want. Uh, and, and you know what? Real talk. Indiana has a, a crazy brain drain. So we have 59 counties in our state that are going to be losing population while the state actually grows in population. So when you look at these counties that are going to be losing population, that means they're also losing income. Because there's no there's no the tax base shrinks. So now they can't afford for those services when when people don't go to school, go to go to California, go wherever you got to go and don't come back home. So when people leave those counties, those counties then struggle and then they actually become essentially welfare to counties like Marion County and Allen County and Vandenberg County and Lake County, where there are revenues or Hamilton County. You know, so so where do they get their money from if people don't come back to those communities? Robin, very good point, Dana. I mean, William, I use use the word legend, and I always <laughs> warn people of, of two things: when you hear the word legend, it either makes you think you're already got a rocking chair, and you know you don't have any hair left. But I was fortunate to be a young man and be state chairman, or younger man to be state chairman. But even before that, I went to Eastern Kentucky, way down in the hill country, with Jesse Jackson when he was running for president, and he used he talked about some of the same things that Dana just did, that truly we were all, and he carried counties in eastern Kentucky where the, the population of people of color was probably no more than 5 8%. But he took the message that we're all in this together. You know, that when you stand on the House floor and gut Medicaid, hmm. you think you're gutting Medicaid for Van Buren Street up in Gary or mm-hmm. Fur Street in East Chicago, and you're going to really feel. go against those cities where there's, quote, affecting Paoli, Ulytic, Bedford, and places like that, where there are a lot of rural whites who rely upon Medicaid and those, those services at the local hospital. And guess who else relies upon it? The local hospital. Yes. I mean, if you have, if you have a large population of low-income people, if you're, I was in Edinburgh the other night, six out of ten of their kids are re- on free and reduced lunch. Mm-hmm. I mean, people of color in Edinburgh. But six out of ten of their kids are on free and reduced lunch. So when you've got populations that are low income in rural areas, they also rely upon those services. When you make them harder to get access to, particularly far from an urban center, it puts a strain on them. When you do, we told the people the same thing 
when they were doing all the voter ID. Mm. Okay, so you make me show that I indeed do live in Orange County. All right, great. But then I've got to get in my car and drive from Orleans to Paoli mm-hmm. to show a provisional ballot so that I can vote. Most people aren't going to do that. They're not going to do it. And who is that voter? Who's that voter missing? It's a rural white voter that they put the onus on because of draconian voter ID laws. I believe you're beginning to see that, because I, 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 don't, be, I don't believe, I watched President Obama's campaign in 08, and we were fortunate his, his get out to vote and, and legal were in our building downtown. And I'd watch that staff. They were busy trying to get the votes, yes, in Plainfield, but they were also getting our votes out. And what happens when we vote? Things happen. Absolutely. Big things happen. We win. So we win. And that's what we've got to drive home. We, and I'm glad you, you talked about things, Dana, about where we've won. I mean, who would ever think? Zionsville mayor, Democrat, female? Absolutely. Carmel electing its first Democrat to its council in the history of Carmel. I mean, Carmel electing people, Fishers, two city council yep. man, members. And I, 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 I personally think that that might have might have had uh, a slight impact on um, Speaker Bosma's decision to step down this year. He lost all three districts in in Marion County that are, that is in his house seat, plus one of his Fishers districts. If you're looking, and the greater population is in Hamilton County and in Marion County versus Hancock County. So if you're looking at, you know, oh, wow, what am I going to do? I've been here for 34 years. Uh, Three of my districts in Marion County with the greatest population just flipped. I mean, just the Geist area, the 1% of the state, the 1% population, it flipped. The whole Geist area flipped. Indianapolis now has a, a, a four to one advantage for Democrats. And in er- we won in areas that we traditionally had never won in. And, and I do believe it had an impact on him saying, how hard do I really want to retain this seat when, when the writing is actually on the wall? So the thing oh, now... He did the, uh, William, we did the school referendum in Lawrence Township, yeah. which is his district. His district. Now, Sean Smith, African-American superintendent, did an outstanding job um, getting the message out. But this quietly was the largest school referendum passed in Indiana history, 191 million, majority-minority school district. New buildings are going to be, I mean, not new buildings, buildings are going to be renovated. Lawrence North, Lawrence Central High Schools will have major renovations, some they've never had in, at all, some not in 50 years. And we got 68% of the vote. Hmm. Now, somebody is telling you, and that area includes Geist, it includes some of the most affluent parts of, of Marion County, but when education is tested, because I looked at the precinct by precinct, Dana, we didn't lose one precinct in the entire school district. Wow, that is impressive. When you start thinking, of, when you start thinking about that, and as and oh, I'm sorry, a little small thing I should have said at the beginning, and that was to raise your taxes. Come on, for kids that don't look like you, that don't look like you, don't look like maybe the voter. Guess what happened? We won. Yep. So. Uh, in Wisconsin, the new governor is a teacher. What I didn't say about Andy's running mate in Kentucky, she's an assistant high school principal. So now you have a governor that won in Kentucky, but who was his running mate? An assistant high school principal. So I still think um, those 15,000 members made a huge impact mm-hmm. on uh, Organization Day down there, and I believe they're going to make an impact in the election here in 20. 
Okay, let's, uh, we've been kind of working our way up to it, but let's just take a couple of minutes and, and talk about the governor's race. Okay. In Indiana, because we got two African-American candidates. Uh, I don't know the, who Josh Owens is. Josh Owens is an actually an LGBTQ plus candidate. Okay. Bill Levin? Uh, I don't know Bill. I haven't. Uh, he's a, he's a, I think he's a libertarian candidate. And then uh, independent candidate is Brian Roth. I don't know that name either. either. Anyway, so we got two African-Americans uh, running mm-hmm. for governor. But, mm-hmm. it, you know, you have to wonder, is this going to be uh, uh, in the bag for uh, Governor Holcomb? I don't I don't think so. I, I used to um, say prior to, you know, November 5th that Governor Holcomb hadn't done anything to get fired. I mean, after um, Governor Mike Pence, you know, Governor Holcomb seems, you know, innocuous, right? <laughs> he hasn't done anything to just really tick off the voters. But the other problem with that is he's done nothing, right? Um, he talked about, he has this this next level plan that I, I, I often giggle about because he touts all the things that he wants to do, um, but some of those things don't get done because he can't get his supermajority in either houses to pass some of the things he talked about. So either he is a poor leader or he was telling us some tales, and I'm gonna let I'll let the listener decide on that. But or, or D all of the above, that, right? So you know, let's just talk. About, let's let's stick with education because that is the biggest one, right? It doesn't matter what else we do in our state if we are not educating our citizenry, we can't get a lot of things done. We're not going to attract jobs because they're not going to be able to fill them um, with, with quality uh, uh, people to fill those roles. If we don't educate people, then you know they will not be able to see the world outside of themselves, and thus you know in some of our communities that it creates resentment when you see the other getting something that they're not getting and then you end up with a Dylan roof, right? Education is the big thing. Governor Holcomb last year talked about how he wanted to make sure that we took care of public education. That did not happen. It did not happen. It did not happen on his watch. He is the leader of of the state and he has both chambers. Why didn't he get it done? Why didn't he get it done? So those are the things we can tout, we could talk about as Democrats, but we can't just talk about what he didn't do. We have to talk about the solutions too, right? We can't sit around and moan and groan about, look what you didn't do, we didn't do this. If you're going to be a candidate, you have to have sound solutions to the problems that Governor Holcomb didn't fix. And then that way, you have a, a clear contrast to why it is time to fire him. Robin? Well, William, I think that um, sometimes you watch leadership. So I told you that I was with Frank O'Bannon when 25,000 people marched on Washington, marched on uh, the state capitol. <clears throat> and where was he that day? He was out raising money. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I, no, I'm not. I'm talking about I'm not. I'm talking about Frank O'Bannon. Oh, Frank O'Bannon. Okay. Right? He was there. He was there. Frank O'Bannon stood right there and spoke to him. Yeah, yeah. He was there. Some people. Now, where's the other guy? Yeah, he was in a whole other state. These were not people. These are not people coming in to hang. I didn't see one Democratic sign. I didn't see one sign, anything that was political, partisan-wise. They were simply saying that we are, in a kind of a, a dotted line way, we are the people on the front line for your job creation because we're the ones getting the kids ready That's right. for jobs. And, and, and there was nobody there. And let me just make a little asterisk here. All right, so I listened to the pundits because I was on television last weekend, and one said, well, you can't change the Republican Governor Association. you got a lieutenant governor. Mm-hmm. You could have put them out there. The Speaker of your House didn't walk out there and speak to them. 
I mean, it just it was just like okay, you got fifteen thousand people that are majority Republican, majority were women, majority was suburban. Um, coming downtown, you didn't do anything about it. Donald Trump was in Lexington, Kentucky, the day before the election. He stood up there at a rally of about fifteen thousand people and said, "Make tomorrow a referendum on me." <laughs> he won the state in sixteen by thirty points. His referendum candidate lost the election the next day. Yep. And time after time, if you watch what's going on, William, we may not win the races, but please pay attention to this one important fact. Every time they talk about Trump won the state by 40, Trump won the state by 30, and tonight this candidate is either leading or it's a razor-thin victory for the Republican. Remember remember right off the bat, Mike Espy ran for the United States Senate in Mississippi? Yep. All of a sudden, Mississippi's a competitive state. Nobody had ever thought Mississippi's U.S. Senate seat would be competitive. Yep. Doug Jones won in Alabama. Come on. And black women Session. were spearheading that one. Yeah. Um, technically, Stacey Abrams won in Georgia. She really did. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, so what's beginning to happen here, Dana was right at the very onset. I think our voters are motivated, and I, I, don't, I don't think anybody right now has a lock on getting reelected, particularly if on the other side, because I think our folks are motivated. I think we're going to have a, a very good uh, primary for president. We're going to have a lot of discussion about substantive issues. Um, and I think, you're, you know, we're not going to duck it like the other guys are. We are going to have primaries. And I believe that folks are going to stay motivated for the fall. Okay, and that <clears throat> pretty much answers my question. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I fully expected Donald Trump to claim he hardly knew Matt Bevin after he lost Kentucky. <laughs> but in anyway, um, now that we have invoked his name, we can go ahead and move on to the topic of the day, which is the impeachment uh, proceedings. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Even though, okay, so the inquiries have wrapped up. Um, Republicans are putting their spin on it, but that's it, not a spin. That's a straight up that's lie. A lie, lie. <laughs> I'm gonna go out on the limb and say a damn lie. There you go. <laughs> but uh, there still seems to be a lot of unfinished business because of the witnesses that they were not allowed to to interview, that they couldn't call to testify, the documents that they never received, and you know what the great irony is. So now Lindsey Graham is going to. Uh, convene investigations into Joe Biden. And what's the first thing he does is he asks for um, documents from which department? Uh, State uh, Department. State Department. So I fully expect he's going to get those documents. But if the State Department provides him those documents, then should, wouldn't they, shouldn't they be compelled to provide the, the documents that Adam Schiff asked for? I mean, what's the difference here? <laughs> Co-equal co branches of Congress. One branch can get it, the other branch can't. So one of the things I've I've been saying, uh, I don't talk a, a lot about Fed, what's going on at the Fed level because I really want people to pay attention um, to what's happening in Indiana because that's the state house is where the real power is. But but in this instance, we'll go ahead and go there. Um, people are so angry at Trump, and I get it, but he's just one person. Who you should be angry at are those uh, representatives and senators who are on the other side that are enabling him. There are a whole lot more of them um, than there are of Donald Trump. And Mitch McConnell, um, Senator Mitch McConnell from Kentucky, ought to be he ought to be fired for doing nothing. There are bills sitting on in his probably in his trash can 
um, that have been bipartisan bills that have been passed out of the House that he has not moved on. 250. So so here you have a situation where, um, first of all, the, the Mueller report actually outlined 10 instances of, of impeachable offenses. Okay, I understand Nancy Pelosi wasn't all that, you know, keen to jump on that right away. Let's take our time. Let's let's move, you know, um, cautiously, because, again, we don't want to tick off voters. Right. We don't want to turn them off. But at the same time, I I think we have a responsibility and all of our electorates have a, a, a responsibility to uphold the Constitution. It, it seems to me that folks on that other side don't really care about the rule of law until it comes to people of color or it comes to, you know, other marginalized communities. I mean, if you talk about somebody seeking asylum at the border, they are so quick to jump on it. But the fact that the person who holds the highest office in the land, well, he really didn't actually hold up the money, even though he attempted to hold up the money. It really didn't happen. So he shouldn't get it. He shouldn't be a page. Come on. You really uh, do you really think we are that uh, ill informed as a, as a citizen, citizenry? I hold more uh, uh, a fault to all those representatives out there who claim to be uh, take an oath to the Constitution, who tend to turn their back on the Constitution when it is convenient for them and the rest of us be damned. That is not acceptable. That is not acceptable. Very good. Well, William, I come at it, um, I try to go back and and make people realize, particularly if they're Republicans, where their party used to be. It used to be they were the law and order party. Hmm. It used to be they were the party where law enforcement could do nothing wrong. You, as a Democrat, would never, ever survive invoking any criticism of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. If you were, you were marked during the Hoover era as a communist, Absolutely. during the later areas as a traitor, yeah. right? Yeah. So this is the party that was the law and order party. 68 was Nixon, law and order, all those wonderful things. Look how they now treat the Federal Bureau of Investigation. This is the party that always was anti-communist, virulently <laughs> anti-communist, Nixon on down, virulently anti-communist. Missing in this whole equation is Ukraine is at war with Russia. Come on. I mean, at war. We're not talking about, you know, okay, skirmish. They have had uh, territory taken away, and they're at war. A hot war. We're messing messing around on whether we're going to give them javelins for their own protection on their own soil. You never under Republican campaigns in the past, would attack a veteran. They started that stuff with Swift Boat going after John Kerry, who was a Purple Heart winner, but they criticized him and decimated his image. But then look what they did to the lieutenant colonel who was injured Come on. by an IED. I mean, the man sitting there. And, and to wrap up, although it's not in their lineage or along in their legacy of support, Fiona Hill sitting there with two master's degrees from Harvard, the preeminent expert on Ukraine. You have Jim Jordan asking her questions that made no sense. Nunes not really making any sense. Period. And they all were they were all out there to de- to degrade her. And I just thought I told my friends I say, well, that's fine. You guys want to play that game? Guess what? Philadelphia suburbs are now turning even more blue. 
Mm-hmm. You're losing suburban Macomb County outside Detroit. Keep it up. The longer you have her sitting there in that seat, grilling her and making snide comments about about somebody who simply wanted to be a consummate top flight professional, there's where you are. So they're going. To, they're so wanderless right now. And following the Trump doctrine, they don't even have a rudder. They don't even have any guidepost anymore. I don't even know where they are on on their on their ideology anymore. They don't know. In communist, virulently anti-communist, and explain to me why you turn your back on the Soviet Union incursion into the Ukraine. Support for law and order. Then why are you calling Bob Mueller a decorated war veteran and head of the head of the FBI at one point with all the things you're doing on him? Women that are that are outstanding in their fields sit in front of your committee and you talk bad about them. And then a wounded veteran, mm. when all you guys show up at every deployment at every National Guard and talk about how important their jobs are, but here's a wounded veteran in front of your committee. And and remember, in front of your committee, not even two weeks after Veterans Day, and that's how you talk to them. So I believe you're beginning to see people are just in their own way forming their own opinion outside of those of us who talk about opinion, I believe that the people are forming their own opinion. I believe it's going to work for us. Well, you know, we keep asking, where is the line that Republicans will not cross? Um, I, I do not understand this uh, cult-like behavior that's coming from Republicans. Yeah, they're a cult right now, and hypocrisy is their religion. But it, is this really about job security it, it seems so f- so far beyond that and once upon a time i could believe that but their behavior now it, to me is just so far beyond job security um at, at one time you could believe yeah i don't want to i don't want to piss off my uh constituents and uh and like you were saying earlier uh robin the the way that they're treating the way that they used to feel about communism and 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 look at what they're doing now they they're pretty much complicit in advancing it you know supporting trump when he turned over uh uh the kurds to turkey. to uh, turkey and and just ceded the territory in syria well i don't think you'd ever had ronald reagan lobbying the g7 <laughs> add russia to g8 come on <laughs> i don't think that would have ever happened and that is their super superhero. That tells you how far their ideology has moved. But but William and and Dana, you know, let's begin to look at electoral returns. Some of this is also what you call deadline uh, democracy. And what I mean by that is some of the strong Republicans. Lindsey Graham knows he's got a he's got a South Carolina primary. Knows when the founding deadline is. Some of this is auditioning for Donald Trump so they don't have a primary contest for their seats that they have now. But then you have people like Cory Gardner, a senator from from Colorado, who's totally quiet. Mm-hmm. Because his, he's running against a former governor, very popular, Hickenlooper, very popular governor. Every poll shows him behind. So he's not out there on point like he used to be. Same with um, the woman in, in uh, Susan Collins in Maine and other places. Um, Joni Ernst in Iowa. So you're beginning to see them. They don't necessarily want that. And then when they have seen him go out and stump, I mean, in in Louisiana, flew in Air Force One, big rally. In Kentucky, flew in Air Force One, big rally. 
but the next day their candidates lost. I think uh, you kind of hit it on the head, William. It's it's it may be cult like, but if they begin to believe that the leader is not as powerful as they once thought, I think they're going to start to separate a little bit. And for our listening audience, uh, once again, I'm William Hosea, and joining me is Indiana's own Dana Black, and we're speaking with Robin Winston, political strategist and former state Democratic Party chair. Uh, Dana, I think you wanted to say something. I, I do. Um, so you said it, you, you, you couldn't believe that it was about job security. Actually, it is. I believe it is about job security because with that job security comes a lot of money. And, you know, the tax cut that was passed last year should have been a uh, clear signal that there's a lot of hoarding going on with our money. Okay, there is a shift in the demographics in our nation. We're going to be a um, majority minority um, in, in 30 years. Everyone's already projected it. It's already it's it's happening. And there are those who have been in power and continue to be in power who are not ready to relinquish that power. And a lot of that power comes with how much money you have, because money comes with influence. Right. You have you have money, you have influence. So, yes, I do believe it, it really is about holding on to that power as much as you possibly can. That is why it is so imperative that we um, recruit diverse candidates to run for office. See, because when you only have, you know, um, 50, 60, 70 year old white males who are, you know, close to 85 percent of our elected officials in Washington who are making all the decisions, they are holding onto the power, but they are only 60 percent of our nation's population. You see, so so we can change the conversation by changing who we're electing. But, yes, they're doing everything they can to hold on to power. That's why there's gerrymandering. That is why there's ID laws and voter suppression and, and all the nefarious things that are happening. And I tell there there was a movement uh, in Indianapolis this year where it, it kind of disturbed me a little bit that there were um, some Republic African-American Republicans um, who were really trying to push for the, the Republican candidate um, that was running. And I tried to explain um, in, in a way that wasn't disparaging because I don't like to call people um, stupid or ignorant or anything like that. I tell people, look at the policies that are coming from either side of the aisle. One group has a set of policies that will negatively impact you and the other group has policies that will positively impact you. So when when you are going to the polls and you are looking to support somebody, you need to support somebody that's that's writing policies or standing for what you care about. So yes, they are doing everything that they possibly can to hold on to power because they recognize in another generation they're going to be begging for it. The other aspect of it, let's just, let's just dig deep into it and get all into the psyche. They would hate for us to do to them what, we've been, what they have been doing to us. Reciprocity is real. And don't think for one second that they don't fear reciprocity. Fear is the biggest factor, honestly. But they want to hold on to that power and they don't want reci- reciprocity. It's a false fear. It's, it's real. Oh, but I, I get it. B- because we we have never had a history of, of uh, revenge. No, no, you know, no. For what they've done no. to us. And, and we, you know, when a lot of times, you know, especially as a black woman, I go places and because I'm incredibly passionate and animated with how I speak and how I talk, people mistake that for being angry. But they actually say that like that's a negative thing. Like I don't have plenty of reasons to be angry as a black woman in America. But. What I do is take that emotion 
right? That negative emotion that what they perceive as negativity and use it for, for good, right? You take all those things that you see that are happening, you, you, you speak about it as loudly as you possibly can. Like my mother said, if somebody trying to snatch you up, you scream. These folks are trying to snatch us up. I'm screaming. Pay attention to what they're doing and how they're doing it, because what their goal is to say, we're holding on to the majority of the power, even though we are not going to be the majority of the citizenry. Wow, there's just so much to talk about on this subject. Uh, let, let me ask another question. Uh, Robin, are you still with us? I'm here. Yes. Okay, so um, if uh, when Donald Trump is impeached, and of course we all know it's going to die in the Senate. Tragedy. <laughs> yeah, so, so a lot of people are trying to make the point that Trump will use that to his advantage, um, especially after what happened to Bill Clinton. It did not hurt Bill Clinton. He, I think he even gained in, in popularity. But after Richard Nixon's, uh, uh, before his impeachment, during the, the hearings, he had a large base of support. And once the public was educated, then that's when they turned against him. But we don't see that happening now. So what, what it's happening yet, but the bill of indictment hasn't been put forth. So far, we have had testimony after testimony. When you begin to see, you know, it's, it's kind of like a grand jury in court. When you impanel a grand jury, you don't see the charges. You're aware that there's a grand jury impaneled. But whenever the prosecutor comes and stands behind the podium and goes down the charges one by one, then that, then that resonates with people to have a better idea of what's going on. Let people begin to see what the actual charges are. I think that'll make a difference. I do think you're right. You know, over 40% are baked in. They're not going to move at all. Um, you know, but I, I do think in 98, Bill Clinton's foibles paled in comparison Amen. we're seeing here. They were not international in focus. They were not ethical. And, I, and, and clearly, they, people drilled that home and... He got impeached by the House. But the House also had a pension for, they were again, under Gingrich and the leadership, they were determined to impeach him. Um, I, I think that you that what we're seeing, I just keep coming back to it, I'm beginning to see in state after state, community after community, people are, are, waking, are waking up because there's no way to avoid it and voting for the right reasons. Now, the, the guy I want to watch in the U.S. Senate the most is Mitt Romney. Hmm. I mean... The man has, the, the president has made fun of him at rallies. You know, he has talked about how he walks. He's talked about he was an idiot for losing to Obama. I really want to see, after all that denigrating thing, combined with charges, combined with his deep abiding Mormon faith, if he votes to keep the guy in office. Absolutely. Me, that, it, it, and, you know, and he's got an extremely unless somebody from, from the far right runs against him. But you know, he moved to Utah to be the U.S. senator. As you know, he's governor of Massachusetts. Right. So it be interesting to see what happens with, with him. Um, but, but I don't know. I, just, I think right now we're dealing with uh, uh, a, lot of, a lot of flurry of activity. Let's let it get focused. Let's let the charges be prescribed. And, you know, if John Bolton testifies, then all things change, I think, William. Yeah. The yeah. reason he comes forth and testifies. And, and and let's 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 be real. You, you cannot compare 
in 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 any sense of the word other than what the process was impeachment with what happened to President Clinton and what is happening now President Clinton made a, a personal misjudgment it was awful he shouldn't have done it he 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 should have never put that young lady in that position we understand that but what this particular president is doing goes against all of our foreign policies they go against the constitution the, the, he's you know he pretty much says yeah i did it but it wasn't no big deal what his his press secretary said get over it don't compare the two because this situation is much more detrimental to the future of our united states the question is also once he's gone from office either that in at uh, this time he's getting ready to move out this time next year or it could be in four years we pray not what do we do to refix this mess these things, all the things that he has done over the last three and a half years are going to have a generational impact for years to come. We have so much work to do to regain the trust of our allies all over the world. They, I mean, honestly, people know that, that Americans ain't as smart as we think we are. They know this now. You know, we were able to mask it for a long time with our rhetoric about being the greatest nation, the beacon and the hope and all of that good stuff. And you can come here and do what you want to do and be the greatest person on the planet if you choose to. But now they're seeing that, oh, wait, Russia can go in there with a few tweets and a, and a few Facebook posts and target people in a specific way. And Americans will buy it hook, line and sinker. So we have so, so it's, it's not just what's happening right now. I mean, I feel bad for Monica Lewinsky and all of that that, that went down. But that situation did not have generational impact other than it opened the door for Republicans to do nefarious investigations like Benghazi. Right. That particular investigation, you know, you have, you know, all spent all this money, Trey Gowdy, blah, 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 all this stuff and not one indictment, not one indictment. And that's what President Trump has homies. He got a whole football team's worth of homies that are locked up, been indicted, been convicted. See, this is, you know, this this is a clown show at the highest level. They thought they they were mobsters. When they came into office and they thought that they were the smartest people in the room. And it turns out that the, the systems that are in place, the mechanisms that were put in place from people centuries ago, knew that this this type of corruption could happen. Now, the question is, will those people who are charged with protecting those things like Lindsey Graham? Now, this guy, you know, in, in 15 and 16 was talking about how awful Donald Trump was. I mean, he was a never Trumper. He he despised him and disparaged him at every step of the way. Once his homeboy, John McCain, left, once John McCain was called home, Lindsey Graham did a one, 180. And, and now he is some kind of lackey I have never seen before in my life. Do you did you not notice that we you were being recorded, you know, four years ago? Did you not know we were we able to pull those tapes up and replay what you said in the past? Lindsey Graham. Yo, these are the kind of people that we need to make sure that we are running quality candidates. He has an opponent. Uh, uh, in his race this year he has a young brother that's running against him so again we need to hold the people who are enabling this level of nonsense and here's the other thing I'm sorry here's the other thing why have they gone to such lengths to keep us from being involved in the process if all they were going to do was elect a clown show why would you work so hard to keep me from voting and keep me out of the loop 
if if you were just going to turn it over to people who did not care about the rule of law, who did not care about the, the framing and the, the, the painstaking work that it took to create the Constitution. Constitution is not perfect. It is a living document, right? It is a living document that can be and will be and continues to grow and change based on who our nation is. But but that's the thing that irritates me the most, especially as a person of color, as a lesbian, as a woman. You know, you have worked really hard to keep me out of the process only to elect someone who, in my opinion, is intellectually challenged. I know that I probably could do a better job and I would never consider running for president. But this is the ridiculousness of what's going on on the other side. So we William, pro- I, go ahead. Go ahead, Robin. One thing, um, I still call it BSOs and it's bright, shiny objects. OK, um, they're pretty adept and pretty adroit at doing bright, shiny objects. Unfortunately, it's spread out of control, and they're about to be impeached. What worries me, and, and Dana, I hope you'll back me up on this, we started the process, we have a 501c4 um, called Progressive Five Matters. We started working a long time ago, got the witness about voting here in Marion County, where there was only one place to vote, mm-hmm. down in the city county building, and we had a woman, Bill Goins' sister, Doris, Bill Goins is a city councilman out of, a former city council, uh, African-American out of Rushville. His sister, Doris, was the person that came forward and talked about being physically challenged and very onerous on her to be able to go down to the city-county building, maroon, uh, make herself or maneuver around police cars, cross a busy street and go in, oh, I'm sorry, through the magnetometer to vote. Um, then uh, the Republicans opposed satellite voting. We had satellite voting in Marion County um, in 2008, and Barack Obama carried Marion County overwhelmingly. Amazingly, in 2010, it went away because the Republican wouldn't vote for it. We challenged it, and, I'm, and here's my point. It was decided by a federal judge. Hmm. It resulted in early voting at six locations. Marion County turnout went up from 160,000 to 305,000 in 2018. Huge increase over the previous four years. Numbers are still high. Everybody's talking about numbers and the council flipping and all those things overwhelmingly. But it was a federal judge that ruled in our favor. Mm -hmm. It's been a federal court of appeals. It's been the bulwark against all the draconian legislation on a woman's right to choose. Folks, we have to win in 20 because, Dana, I heard you say four more years of this guy. I can't take another 70 or 80 young um, Freedom Foundation, Reason Foundation, Heritage Foundation, graduates of Liberty University, graduates of Regent University Law School on the federal bench. Me either. That is going to be detrimental to all rights that we have. Imagine appeal the right for felons to get back on a ballot in Kentucky, sitting in front of a guy that's a Mitch McConnell appointee, carrying the federal bench there. He's 47 or she's 47 years old, life appointment. Those are the people that are going to be adjudicating what's going on in the future. We have to win in 20 for, and then the, for the federal bench, and then we've got to win in 20 because every time I read Ruth Bader Ginsburg goes to the hospital, my, oh, yeah, my gosh. Yeah. So you're right. the people will begin to realize, you know, your union boys, you want to be able to do situs picketing in front of a place of work? 
hey, fellas, could it be a federal judge that decides whether or not you can do that or whether or not that's going to be found in contempt or obstruction and you have to move off the site? Yeah. Davis-Bacon decisions? I mean, we've got to make it personal. When I overturn the Affordable Care Act, it'll be a federal judge that will do that. Immigration, it's been federal judges that have stopped him. So please, the the federal bench will be important in 20. We're so focused on Ukraine and the two dudes who were on their way to two tickets to paradise to leave the country and everything else. We've forgotten about in walks Mike Pence carrying a dossier of four federal judges that they want to appoint. This guy signs off on it and says, sounds good, Mike, are they conservative? Yeah, great, great, good, and moves on down the line. Those, that's where they're giddy as can be because McConnell is proud to let you know there's a record number of federal judges they've been appointing. Absolutely. Well, Robin, I knew this was going to happen. We've uh, come to the end of the show. In fact, every time we have you on, we end up with more questions and discussions than we have time for. But uh, at this, So you know what that means. We have to do a sequel, right? <laughs> Let's make it happen. Okay. <laughs> So on that note, we're going to say thanks to our guest anchor, Indiana's own Dana Black and Indiana Democratic, uh, former Indiana Democratic Party chair, Robin Winston, and political strategist. Uh, Thanks to you both for coming on tonight to unpack recent political developments and bring us up to date on what's going on within the state of Indiana. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have any ideas for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address uh, to uh, Bring It On is, is, is at wfhmb.org. Um, we want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. That email address again is Bring It On B-R-I-N-G-I-T-O-N, at wfhm, uh, wfhb.org. Our show's producer is Clarence Boone with help from the WFHB News Department. Tonight's board engineer is Chantal LaFontante. Our original theme music was created by Jamil FM with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm William Hosea. And I am Indiana's own Dana Black. Tune in next Monday, December 2nd uh, at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.